Hi, it's Chris. A few reminders. First, have you signed up for my free newsletter at chrisreback.com? It brightens your Sunday afternoon with my thoughts, show notes, extra questions with guests, and more. This week's bonus question for Jason Kander, why did Barack Obama call you the future of the Democratic Party? Sign up at chrisreback.com. Next, if you like the podcast and the newsletter, how about supporting the effort? Become a member of Chris Reback's Conversations. Members get exclusive early access to select podcasts like my recent live podcast. You also get invitations to submit questions for upcoming podcast guests. Other benefits will be added in the future, and we offer two tiers of membership, patron and superstar. Choose the one that's right for you at chrisreback.com slash membership. Finally, thanks to everyone who takes the time to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It makes a big difference. So if you like these conversations, I'd appreciate it if you'd take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. You know my parallel ask, though. If you don't like the conversations, well, thanks for still listening, but please just forget that whole rate and review thing. So three items for the checklist. Sign up for the newsletter, become a member, and please rate. Thanks, and now let's get to the podcast. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Jason Kander has a lot going on. To begin, he's running for mayor of Kansas City. For most of us, that'd be a full-time job, but as you'll hear, Jason Kander is most definitely not the rest of us. It's not just that he can rebuild a combat weapon while blindfolded, as he proved in a 2016 political ad. Go check it out on YouTube. It's not just that in reaction to 9-11, he did what few other brave and patriotic Americans did, volunteered for U.S. military service and got himself sent to Afghanistan. It's not even the crazy volume of meaningful activity he sustained simultaneously. In addition to that Kansas City race, he started Let America Vote, a pact that ends to end voter suppression across the U.S. He hosts Majority 54, the crooked media-backed podcast that debuted at number one when it launched last November. And now he's written a new book, Outside the Wire, 10 Lessons I've Learned in Everyday Courage. As you'll hear, the book is less about life lessons and more a call to arms. Beyond all that, what sets Jason apart? He connects with people, all kinds of people, including, as he describes in our conversations, ones who don't agree with him on any of the issues. Listen to Jason now. It surely won't be the last you hear from him. Before we begin, though, I want to remind you about our show's terrific sponsor, The Cook Political Report, and a special offer for our listeners to get an 18% discount off all subscriptions. You already know, people who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. And for Political Wire listeners, a special offer. You can use the code POLITICALWIRE to get 18% off all subscriptions. Just go to cookpolitical.com and use the code POLITICALWIRE, that's one word, to sign up and get 18% off all subscriptions. That's cookpolitical.com, code POLITICALWIRE. Okay, that's it. Here's my conversation with Jason Kander. Jason, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it, Chris. So uh, there's a lot going on. Majority 54, Let America Vote. There's this running for mayor. Uh, you've just released um, your first book. And, you know, I mean, it, it's a lot. It, it's all really impressive. And yet, as far as I can tell, you are only the second most prominent author in your household. H- how does that feel? <laughs> 
Uh, great. Um, <laughs> because it, I'm, I'm obviously one of the things I write about in Outside the Wire is that uh, Diana and, and I are a, a team. We refer to ourselves as, as team candor and uh, her successes are, are my successes and vice versa. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've been together since uh, we were 17 and and uh, this is the this is the approach we've taken is that all of our successes are one another's successes. So so yeah, it feels fantastic to be the uh, uh, second best author in my house. Yeah, I, I bet it does. And and I mean, and, you know, you've got a New York Times bestseller to to work work your way up to. I mean, you, you might get there on you know. You, you, has this? <laughs> Who knows? I, I haven't looked. Actually, I should have looked beforehand. Um, I don't. It's probably too soon for you. Have, you haven't hit it yet on on this book, right? Well, maybe after this podcast, we'll drive enough uh, uh, buyers <laughs> and get is, you there. Getting, the political wire bump. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah. It's doing. You know, it came uh, outside the wire came out on Tuesday, and um, you know, it, it earned that little. Uh, so far, it's earned that little orange bestseller ribbon on on Amazon, which I'm very flattered by that the people are going out and getting it. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's going well so far. It, it, one of the most fun parts has been uh, all the folks on social media who have been uh, like taking pictures of their favorite parts of the book and tweeting them at me or, or quoting parts of it to me. That's been really fun. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I bet. And uh, you know, you could take some lessons as well. We all could take some lessons from uh, uh, your friend Dan Pfeiffer, who who was kind enough to be a guest on the show a few weeks ago. He did he did as good a job of pre-build of a book as I've ever seen. I mean, was he talking to you about it? Yeah, he and I talked about it a couple of times. It's funny. Um, he, he blurbed uh, my book and I, and I blurbed his and, and he's a, he's a good friend and, um, and his book is really good. I would, I would, for your listeners who haven't read his yet, I would strongly suggest that after you finish outside the wire, yeah. let's <laughs> prioritize yeah. Dan's book. Yeah. No, no. yeah. Just yeah. like I, <laughs> I, I would, I just like I would tell folks after you've listened to my podcast, then, you know, go ahead, listen yeah. to yours. And after that, if yeah, you still have right. some time, listen to Pfeiffer's, I guess, I mean, put him yeah. number three, would you say? And, well, and I would say do all of this while driving to Kansas City, Missouri to visit the New York <laughs> League's Baseball Museum and spend lots of money in our town. Spoken like a, a would-be mayor. Uh, you know, and, and you've, <laughs> you've got that in your plate, too. So, so let's talk quickly. Um, I mean, there's so much that I want to talk to you about. Um, it, but let's talk about the book um, for just one moment. Is it a book about life lessons, or would you feel that it's more of a call to arms? Yeah, I think it's I think it's both in the sense that uh, a call to arms is is one of the lessons uh, in in a big way. I mean, it, I I didn't want to write a book of rules. I know that that's popular to do, but I didn't want to do that because as I as I argue in the book, you know, politics is uh, it's a it's a profession practiced entirely by amateurs. I mean, it's it there are no real rules for how to do it, uh, you know, in some specific way other than you know what I've learned, which is. So much of this is just, and it's a controversial statement, oddly, uh, is just trying to be a good person. And that tends to make you uh, better as a politician. I mean, I, I tell a story in Outside the Wire about one of the very first doors I ever knocked on when I was running for the state legislature 10 years ago. And, and how this fellow came to the door, we didn't uh, seem to be agreeing on the issues at all. And I had never really done this much before. So I started doing what politicians on TV did. And I started trying to spin him into believing that we had the same position and that was making things worse. And so then I just, I just shook his hand and said, well, I guess we disagree, but now you know where I stand. And I went to walk off and he said, yeah, that's fair. I'll vote for you. You can put a sign in my yard if you want. And uh, that that just helped me learn from the very beginning that 
just like in, in the rest of life, if you're just honest with people and, and, and share with them where you're coming from, uh, then you have an opportunity to bring them around to your side. And, and so in that way, uh, the book is a collection of lessons like that, but it's also um, telling people that uh, they can get out there and they can do this, whether it's running for office or volunteering or just getting involved with a nonprofit or just trying to you know, get involved with their neighborhood association. There's a lot of ways to make your community a better place. So two of the ideas that you just talked about um, I, I could not agree more with, and yet at the same time, they take on a bit of a different color um, in the age of Donald Trump. One, so so let, let's talk about them. One, one was mm-hmm. the idea that politics is for amateurs, and it is, right? That's our, that's our whole – we are citizen-led – we're a citizen-led government. We, we even, you know, we implement term limits to make sure that some of that citizen capability and that we don't have a permanent political class so that that's institutionalized. That's number one. And, and so, and we have, we, we've, we got what we wanted. We have an amateur in the White House. And, the, and I don't mean that necessarily pejoratively. I mean, I, I would argue that, that back, you know, when, that, that that's a, a really, um, attractive quality. We we wanted somebody who hadn't done it before. I think as Americans, I you know, with, holding all the policies and and et cetera aside, that was alluring. So so that question, yes, that's what we want. I think as citizens, but does that take a different view with Donald Trump in the office? The second one was you said, uh, you know, the lesson of the guy who disagreed with you, but said at the end, you know, hey, put your sign on my yard. Um, if you just are straight with people and tell them the truth, well, <laughs> do, do I need to say more? So h- how do how do those lessons, which, yes, I, I agree with, anyone likely would agree with, h- how do those hold up in the age of Trump? Well, let's go in order. So in the first one, you know, when I say that politics is a profession practiced by amateurs, I mean that uh, everybody in politics, no matter how long they've been in it, is is still trying you know, to figure it out. There's no set way to do it. And so to me, while there are lots of uh, very legitimate criticisms of, of the president, one of the ones, um, well, and it is a criticism, I mean, his lack, his lack of experience in, in the relevant areas. But one of the lessons that I have in the book uh, is that, you know, experience is good, but perspective is golden. And so what I think is revealed to us every day about President Trump is that one of his greatest uh, failings um, is less about a lack of experience in governing and more about a, a lack of perspective. I mean, this is a person who, um, you know, the old expression born on third, believing he hit a triple, uh, very much applies to and is absolutely convinced that anything he does is justified because he did it. And I think if you look back at his history, uh, it's pretty well um, demonstrable that that has been something that has hurt people, whether he's been president or head of the Trump organization. You know, his his feeling that uh, he can do whatever he wants to people. Um, and then the, so, and, and the, the argument I make in the book about perspective is that it's important and you have to, you have to work hard to hang on to it. So for instance, I tell a story uh, in outside the wire about one of my very first, uh, one of my early votes that I took during my time as, uh, uh, as a state legislator was during, it was like at the beginning of the great recession and it was a, a vote on whether or not uh, to raise legislator pay. Now I didn't want to raise the pay uh, for me, I didn't want to raise legislator pay, but the way the law worked in Missouri is, is that if you wanted to um, raise the base pay of judges in the state, then you had to raise legislator pay too. And everybody kept saying, we've got to raise the, le- the, the judges pay. And I called my wife and I said, you know, I guess here in Jefferson City, I guess this is just what people do. I guess I got to vote to, to raise the judges pay and, and therefore my own. And, and she was back in Kansas City. She wasn't in the Capitol. 
And so she had some perspective and she was like, are you crazy? She's like, the people are out of work. Like you judges don't deserve more pay either. Like you, you can't vote to raise your own pay. So I, so I voted against it. And then the rest of the story is that that had me absolutely convinced that uh, I was therefore in touch. And, and I would, I would brag sort of about that on the campaign trail that I'd always worked against raising my own pay. I'd never voted to raise my own pay. And one day I'm uh, given a speech during my Senate campaign in 2016. And I'm talking about this and this fella uh, yells out, he says, you voted against your own race. And I was like, yeah, I did. And he said, and I don't know if I could trust a man who would vote against his own race. <laughs> and, and every, and everybody laughed and I lost that particular crowd. But it was a reminder to me that if you're going to maintain perspective, you got to continually question your own view of yourself because perspective is perishable. And that I think is where I think is one of great president Trump's greatest failings is not only a lack of perspective, but a lack of any willingness whatsoever to question his own view of himself. And as to the second part, you know, telling the truth and, and being real with people, um, we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that because, uh, you know, he may have won the 2016 election that therefore, uh, everything that he did in the process is therefore vindicated. I mean, it's important to remember that 54% of the country voted for somebody not named Donald Trump. And it is still the case that uh, because uh, truth is such a scarce commodity or scarce uh, commodity in politics, the value of it ends up being much higher. Uh, So if you are willing to just tell people the truth, I think you'll find what I found, which is I ran for Senate in 16 in a state uh, that voted for um, President Trump by 19 points. And uh, I lost by less than three points. And the reason I outperformed the way I did or the, the reason I got so many people who voted for Trump to vote for me, even though we agree on just about nothing, uh, was because people looked at what I said and said, OK, I don't agree with him, but uh, I see why he believes what he believes. And I see that he believes it because he thinks uh, it's going to be good for me, whether I agree with that or not. He, he's trying to do the right thing for me. And that's, I think, what voters are really after. So that sounds simple. Um, and and straightforward and maybe easy, maybe not easy, um, but do the right thing. Is that does that mm-hmm. oversimplify it, or do you think that no, that particularly today, um, it's just that it's just that simple, and yet it's maybe not so easy. And so you know, when people see it in action, they take to it. I mean, I guess does that oversimplify it? Do the right thing. I mean, what 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 defines doing the right thing? How do you know it when you see it? And, and isn't it more complicated than that? Well, in the book, I talk about the fact that, in my view, uh, the secret to adulthood is that 99% of the time, uh, you know the right thing to do. Uh, you know, as, we're, as we're growing up, we hear grownups all the time say, well, you know, it's, it's kind of a tough choice. It's hard to know what to do. There, there are multiple right choices here. And that's generally really not the case. 99% of the time, you know the right thing to do. And if you're struggling with it, you're just actually deciding whether to do the right thing. And I think that's true in life and it's true in politics. And, and, and so to me, the uh, so-called profession of politics is not about making the right political decision. I think that's the mistake a lot of politicians make. They think it's about making the right political choice. I believe that it is about making the right choice based on what is the right thing to do. And then the political part is managing the consequences of your decision, is, is going out and defending your decision to the public. And it, but it has to start with a decision that you made based on what you really think is right, because people can tell otherwise. I, I, I view all of this as a decision whether or not to try to act. And I tell fellow politicians all the time, you're not a good actor. I'm not a good actor. That's why I don't try. 
So, and, and voters can tell if you're trying to act. I mean, Americans see all sorts of really good acting on, from Hulu to Netflix to TV to movies. And so when we see someone acting badly, it actually doesn't even look like bad acting to, to us. It just looks weird and it makes us uncomfortable. And that's what it, that's what it is when a politician tries to take a position that they don't actually believe in, but they think that will appeal to voters. You know, more often than not, uh, voters can kind of sniff that out. And even if they like the position, they don't give you much credit if they feel like you're just taking it because you think that uh, you have to. And, and so that's why I say that it is as simple as just trying to be a good person. Um, now, you're not going to necessarily win every single election doing that. But the point of politics is actually not to win every single election. The point of politics is to make change. And if you have to compromise everything you believe and pretend you believe in things you don't in order to win elections, then what is the point? Because you're not getting to change the things that you want to change. And that's supposed to be why you got into this in the first place. And you, you, you write about that. In terms of acting, you also write about that quite a bit. There, uh, you've, you've got a, a lot of great movie references from Stripes to Shawshank Redemption to uh, Citizen Kane and, and, and others throughout the book. But another big theme, obviously, in the book um, is courage. Uh, how do you define it? What, what's courage? You know, the theme of the book is everyday courage. And uh, so it's even it's it's a it's a step below what I would define as, as as regular courage. I mean, everyday courage is everything from just you know speaking up for a colleague who's not being treated well at work to um, to just stepping forward and saying what you really believe uh, instead of trying to you know pander to somebody. And and there's opportunities to exercise everyday courage every single day. And what it all comes out of for me uh, is you know the reason the book is titled Outside the Wire is because. That's a military term for going off the safety of the base, as I did in Afghanistan. But it's really the book is more about my experiences. Uh, there, there are stories in there about my experiences going outside the wire in Afghanistan. But it's largely about my experiences going figuratively outside the wire in politics and how I felt throughout my uh, have felt throughout my time in, in politics um, that I, because I had been outside the wire in Afghanistan, demonstrating everyday courage to go outside the wire politically just hasn't seemed like that big of a lift to me. I mean, that's been true in every campaign I've had, including now I'm, I'm running for mayor of Kansas city. I'm, I'm running because I want to make sure that uh, the progress that my town is, has enjoyed is, is continued and is experienced by everybody in the city as much as possible. Um, and I try and exercise that sort of everyday courage every day uh, in, in this campaign and, and in everything I do. You also have a great opportunity and a great privilege. I'm sure you feel that 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 it's that um, of traveling and meeting people in all sorts of places. I think did you write that you've campaigned with people in in every state at this point, and maybe maybe not every state, but something close. I mean, you've gone to I don't know how many. Do you know how many states you've gone to at this point? Uh, it's over forty. Yeah. It was all you know, mostly last year um, after uh, Trump took office, and. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think whether you're talking about um, multiple states or whether you're just talking about the fact that, like, right now I'm in every single part of, of Kansas City uh, and will be – my my goal is to be doing that for the next uh, more than eight years. Um, but at least is that, uh, you know, our experiences are not that different uh, no matter where we live or no matter what we're going through now. that That is, like – if you have a different economic situation, you have a widely different experience, but I guess it's, it's not so much that I should say experiences aren't that different. It's that, uh, what people are after isn't that different. I mean, I, I feel that so much of what 
the American dream is about in this country is it, it's about all of us wanting our families to be happy, to be healthy, to be safe, to be nearby. And, you know, I'm very fortunate in that my wife and my son and I, we, we have that. We, we live on a, on a safe street. We have access to a doctor uh, when we need it. And then the other piece that people don't talk about enough is that my son lives within 20 minutes of both sets of grandparents and, and aunts and uncles and cousins. And, and that's, that's a huge deal. What about when feeling safe means building a wall? What about when feeling safe means putting tariffs on um, production in other, you know, and so that that we can protect jobs here? What about when feeling safe means, um, you know, what I, I want, I, I want quote true Americans. I mean, how is I wanted to? I'm curious about what you're finding the mood is in the country. What you're finding the mood is in Kansas City, and is there a shared definition of what it means to feel safe? Well, there's a shared definition of the feeling, not of how you get there. And, uh, and so uh, I actually think uh, that, well, I think it's pretty obvious, frankly, that what President Trump has tried to do is, is try to play on fear, not to try to make anybody safer. So the, the steps that he takes, uh, you know, when he, whether it's the Muslim ban or the wall you mentioned, all of that is about a- amplifying people's fear, not about making anyone actually safer. And, and in fact, I would argue, um, and I, I believe it is true, that he has made us less safe uh, in a variety of ways. Whereas, you know, here I am, um, I'm in, in Kansas City uh, working on issues like how do we, uh, how do we get um, uh, shot spotter into more neighborhoods because it's a way to, to cut down on, on gun violence. You know, those are, those are concrete steps you can take to try to make people more safe. Uh, whereas, you know, President Trump absolutely refuses to do anything uh, without a, a permission slip from the NRA. That doesn't make people more safe. So, uh, you know, I think it is a, it is about having an honest conversation about what it is we're actually doing and telling people, like making our argument to people. I and mean, one of the points I'm making outside the wire is that you can't win an argument by trying to convince somebody that you already agree. You win an argument by telling people what you believe and then very, this is important, why you believe it, not a statistic, not an article you read, not a talking point, what happened in your life that made you feel so strongly about this? Because if you allow people to follow that journey with you, they can see how you got there and you bring them a little closer to your opinion. How important has Sly James been to you, mayor of Kansas City? Uh, Sly, yeah, uh, Mayor James has, has been an extremely important figure in my life. I, I, I talk about that in the book is that you know, um, from the time I was uh, about 15, uh, he has been uh, a bit of a, uh, he has been a mentor uh, for me. He is somebody who, you know, I, the story I tell in the book is that I was, uh, I was working at, uh, at a, a law firm um, here in Kansas City, and it was a good firm, good people. Um, and I was doing uh, corporate defense. And this was, I came back to this job after serving as an intelligence officer in Afghanistan. And uh, at one point, somebody came in and said, you know, this is really important this thing that I was working on. And I, I responded, uh, I, I said, is anybody going to die? <laughs> no, I just come back from Afghanistan. Uh, and, and it was pretty apparent to me at that moment that, you know, maybe this job wasn't as fulfilling as what I, what I should be doing. I needed to find something that was more meaningful after having served overseas as an intelligence officer. So I called up Sly and, uh, he had worked in a, at that time, this is before he was in politics. Uh, and he had worked at a, uh, defense firm and left it and had become a plaintiff's lawyer, a trial attorney. And I called him and I told him what I was thinking about and I asked for his advice. And, and Sly said, well, you know, you can stay where you are. and You'll make really good money. 
And he walked me through what that would be like. Uh, he said, or you can leave, you can go do plaintiff's work. Uh, you make a lot less money, uh, but pretty soon you're going to have a case that uh, you'll call up your client to tell them that you got it resolved and they'll be crying because you will have changed their life forever. And then, so I just said, uh, he said, you know, you're a call kid, do what you think is right. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I left that firm and went off to do trial work and, and I, I remain, he and I remained very close. And then when he, when he announced he was running for mayor, he, he, uh, this was in 2011. Uh, he announced well before that the race was in 2011 and he, uh, he was running against an incumbent, uh, mayor up for reelection. Uh, and it had been since prior to the, the depression, um, that, uh, a, a Kansas city mayor had not uh, been reelected and, uh, and Sly had never held office. And everybody was saying to me like, who is this guy? And, and I endorsed him. I was the first elected official to endorse him. I was in the state legislature then, and people just thought that was nuts. Uh, but I told them he's going to be a great mayor, and he's going to win. He's going to be a great mayor. And, and I would argue he's um, the best in the country. And he, in fact, got reelected uh, four years later with over 80% of the vote. So Kansas Cityans clearly agree. Now he's term limited. I can't run again. And, uh, and you know, with his leadership, the city's made a lot of progress. And like I said, I want to make sure that continues and, and that it, it touches everybody. And, and so I'm I'm very pleased to be running. Hope to win. So now, now Kansas City needs a new amateur to uh, take the office of a mayor. Yeah, well, because everybody doing this job from from uh, I don't care if you've been in elected office for forty years. It's just a profession where anybody who pretends that there is an expert way to do this uh, or one way to do it, they're kidding themselves. Jason, to to close out, um, so you're running for mayor of Kansas City. You're a you've been a Missouri state politician, Secretary of State. You you were in the House of Representatives. Those are all um, excellent. Out, you know, thank you, you know, for your service is the the trite phrase. And you've served in the military. And again, you know, thank you for your service. You've you've done, um, you. you know, these these yeah. It's it's heartfelt. I think it's um, used extremely tritely and we could probably have a conversation i think you do actually in your book you talk about uh um you know what it means to actually be uh um thoughtful to veterans and and you actually you're very uh show incredible self-awareness in the book around wanting to make sure that you don't position yourself in in any way you you talk about the true courage and uh you know what what others have did have to go through and continue to have to go through um in their military service that you did you know things that you did and, and didn't so um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a phrase that, that gets misused, but, but it's sincere. My, my question on, on this point though is, um, those, those are all excellent. And yet you have gone from being a Missouri state official that maybe, you know, some people knew to people wanting you to run for president. And this is maybe a tough question for you to ask or an embarrassing, uh, for you to answer or an embarrassing question question for you to answer but why is that why do you think you cut through why would people want a former secretary of state of missouri uh who didn't win a senate race came close did great but didn't win um why do they want you to run for president uh well it's very flattering um and and i, I appreciate the question um I'm, I'm much more excited about the fact that there are uh, a good amount of people in kansas city who who want me to run for and be mayor um and my hypothesis is that they're enough, and, and, and I'm going to spend the next uh, year going out and meeting absolutely everyone I can who I don't already know in my town. Um, I, and I knocked on 20,000 doors here, uh, so I, I obviously know a lot of my fellow Kansas Cityans um, and uh, want, to, want to meet all the rest. But 
what I would say uh, to that, I guess, the only thing I can speak to, uh, I, I, I will, as as a politician, I will slightly dodge and just say I can speak to why I've been asked uh, at times to come and speak. Uh, and I think it was probably because I had outperformed the top of the ticket uh, by so much and people wanted to know um, how I had done that in, in a uh, in a red state or a state that had gone um, red by 19 points. And, uh, and, you know, I just told people exactly what you and I have been talking about in this conversation about the fact that folks will forgive you for believing something they don't believe if they know that you truly believe it and you believe it because you care about them. Um, and but I'm I'm very excited to uh, to run for it and, and hopefully to be the mayor of Kansas City. And I, I want to get that job. I want to work really hard for four years and, and hopefully then people will want to give me four more years. Um, and, and I would like to have all eight because uh, it, is, it is an exciting opportunity and, and uh, I look forward to um, to it uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll earn it. Jason, thank you. Thank you. The book's a, a great read and, and really heartfelt. You come across in it and, uh, you know, great luck with, with the campaign. I know that's where your focus is. I know it's not at uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue right now, but uh, you can't, can't blame a guy for asking. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks. That was my conversation with Jason Kander. Want more from Jason? A reminder to sign up for my free newsletter at chrisreback.com. It has bonus insights from him on the question, why did Barack Obama call you the future of the Democratic Party? My thanks to Jason for the conversation and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. I'll talk with you soon. Mm-hmm.